I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Welcome to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast, where we help you wake up, find your purpose, and build your dream life. Today, my guest is entrepreneur Bob Goulet. Bob has lived a very accomplished adult life, from being the inventor on over a dozen patents and being the two-time winner of Inc.'s 500 Award. When you look at his accomplishments, you never know the life that he led before. Bob's improbable life journey from tormented child, tragedy, and inmate in one of the world's toughest prisons transcends into wholeness. In his latest memoir, Chasm, he shares his deepest struggles, dead ends, achievements, and messy transformation into being more peaceful and aligned than he ever imagined. In this episode, we dive into Bob's past, his personal story, the worst day of his life, which changed the trajectory of his life forever, how he rebuilt his life from the ground up, how he achieved tremendous financial success, but felt empty on the inside, and how he went on a spiritual journey to find wholeness peacefulness, meaning, alignment, and how today he's living a life he truly loves. In this episode, he shares how you can do the same in your own life. With that, enjoy the show. Bob, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. Excited to have you on today. Thanks, Danny. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm very excited for this episode. I, I know right before we jumped in, I noticed you have this poster behind you. I have the same one that says success at the top. and all the things that it takes to be successful, become successful, live a successful life. You know, I'm very excited to share your story, share what led you to writing your your most recent book. And I know from just the description of your book, on the back of the book, when you take your last breath, will you look back and smile deeply? Or will you look back and wish you have lived differently? So between that, your book, the poster, uh, something tells me you're living a very intentional life, very thoughtful life. And Excited to share your story today. Well, great. I think it is It is introspective. It, it, it continues to evolve. And so I think it's the journey, not, not the destination, you know, that I think it's just become this. So many times I thought I had arrived and I found out I wasn't arriving at all. You know, I was really just uh, <laughs> learning a new lesson and kind of, okay, I don't have it figured out. I think the biggest piece is I've just become accustomed to realizing I don't have it figured out, you know, but it gets better all the time. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I view my own goals and my own, we're all on this journey. We're trying to chase this, get to this destination, but I see the destination is constantly evolving and the goalpost is constantly moving. Yeah, it's really funny. I, I, I was in uh, Florida on Sunday with Michael Singer. I'm not sure if you're familiar with The Untethered Soul. The name sounds very familiar. Yeah. And so he's a very spiritual guy. And, and we went for a long walk. And, you know, he literally just kept saying to me, it's just this moment, you know, it's just letting go and, and kind of the letting go of all the things that block you that 
life is meant to just be beautiful at the moment. No destination, right? No, his whole premise is you surrender to what presents itself. And that should be mm. beautiful enough. And and that's where I'm getting to. I can't say I've perfected this yet, but you know, you really just get to what's available. And and his his real quick backdrop is he says, you know, if you look at the whole universe and everything it took for us to be here, it's such an amazing gift to just be on this podcast, right? That we have the connection and we see each other and we're having this conversation and we're recording it and yeah, this is insane. Right. I mean, just when you think about <laughs> it, right. And, um, and just appreciating that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. What did you say was the, the motto or the statement that he was telling you? It's just this. Well, it's just, yeah, it, everything's perfect. Just the way it is. And if it's not perfect, just the way it is, it's something blocking, right. Cause, cause kind of the, the natural state when we were born was it's, it's all good, right. Baby smile, right. It's perfect. And then we get all blocked up and we put all these stories and all these blockages and, and we just don't let that flow. And, mm. and I think as you kind of keep asking myself, wow, what's in the way, right? Why can't I enjoy this moment? You know, and, and often I can get to my own question, you know, and go, okay, well, I've got this story that came along somewhere and I've built this whole thing and I'm telling myself why I can't enjoy this moment, but why can't I enjoy this moment? Mm. I love that. Makes me start to think a lot about some of my own past experiences. And yeah, it's definitely something that I think we all ponder. So, you know, just before we jump into this, maybe you can introduce yourself, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and also about your book that you recently launched and, and let's go from there. Yeah, sure. I recently launched Chasm, A Deep Journey into Meeting and Wholeness. I wrote the book because I was called to write it. And I had zero interest in writing a book. I'm not going to tell you it was some lifelong dream. I have a friend who's a Ukrainian priest. We were having a conversation on the phone on a Sunday. And um, he sends me a text later that night. It says, uh, thank you so much. I now realize the biblical phrase moving my mountain really means. And my first reaction was, wow, you must have sent that to the wrong person because I didn't think this was all that deep of a conversation, you know, that I was going to move a priest. That night I had a dream. I was going to write a book. The next day I go to work and I'm like, okay, I don't really believe it. So if movingmymountain.com is available, then I'll write a book. Of course it was available. And then I was like, now I got to test fate, right? If bobgoulet.com is available, then I'm meant to be an author, right? But that won't be available. Sure enough, it was available, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so I've tested fate. Now I'll write a book. And then I, I really just surrendered to that to write a book. and. And the 30-second story is abused kid, kind of a tough childhood, jumped into drugs, learned, was a master at any way to escape reality. At 20 years old, I caused a horrific car accident and I killed two people. I'm in the state of Florida, sent me to prison for 12 years. And I found myself doing time in Florida State Prison at one point with Ted Bundy while he was there. Got out at 25, 10th grade education. No car, no driver's license, no money, no place to stay. And went on this 25-year journey. I have three college degrees. was on the Inc. 500 twice, built a multi-million dollar company. And then in 2017, I came to an just incredibly dark night. And, and I just realized I wasn't working. And we can get into that detail if you want. And I just left that night and I said, I'm going to... I know people have found beautiful lives. 
So how do you do that? And I literally mm. spent the last five years traveling the world, studying like every spiritual teacher, every self-help book I could either listen to or read and, and really started to integrate that. And so the book is kind of that journey through wading through. There's there's so much stuff that at some point you don't know what to do because, you know, every day you could have a new idea of what it is and kind of how I worked through it and started to find something that was truly peaceful and that I feel is now I've got good harmony. I'm free. Mm. So that's a lot. So just so we have the timeline, right? So you grow up, you end up getting into this this car accident, you end up going to prison, you eventually get out of prison, we'll jump into that. Following prison, you end up really rebuilding or building your life from really the ground up. And it sounds like you got to a point where you had a tremendous amount of success. And was it that you you felt empty, you weren't happy, and then that led you on the spiritual journey? I just want to make sure that we have the timeline right. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I spent 25 years chasing achievement. And I became incredibly masterful at achievement. And I thought achievement would mm. deliver me, which I think in some regards is kind of the American dream, right? I had the house. I didn't have the 2.2 kids. I had the one kid. I had the sports car. I had the bank account. I could kind of go where I want and do what I want. <laughs> but I'd spent no time here. You know, I'd spent no time inside. Mm. And and I realized that wasn't it. And so the next five years was really spent on doing all the inside work, or not all the inside work, but really cracking that shell and starting to understand who I was. Hmm. That makes sense. So yeah, let's go back to the worst day of your life. I'd love if you could share a little bit about the worst day of your life and what that was like and why that was a, a game changer for you. Sure. I'm asleep and start to open my eyes and across the room there's a television in the corner probably everybody would know the scene it was a hospital room i don't know how i got here it's 12 o'clock and the the noon news is on and there's a scene that that's a car that looks just like my car except it's torn up all over the road and there are lights flashing and markings all over the road and there's a white sheet clearly covering a dead body i'm just kind of sort of conscious, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at this. And then I felt something on my face and I went to move my hand and my hand stopped to a clink of metal. Then I went to look at why my hand wouldn't move and I couldn't move my neck because it was in a brace. And finally, out of the corner of my eye, I could see that I was handcuffed to this bed and that there was a police officer sitting next to me. And over the next hour or so, I learned that that was my accident and that I had killed two people in a high-speed car chase that led to an accident. I was under arrest at that moment. I, I had been, state attorney had charged me with two counts of second-degree murder, which we later pled down to manslaughter. Beyond overwhelming, you know, like you have in that moment, you know, you just want to die, but you don't, but, you know, you've killed two people, you're, you've train wrecked your own life. And at this moment, I'm still thinking, this has got to be a dream, right? This is just a nightmare. Like, this didn't really happen. And then my mother walked in and I saw the look on her face. And I was like, oh, my God, this is all completely real. Mm. Worst day of my life. You came out of it and you sort of recognized and put the pieces in place of, of what had taken place. Leading up to the, the car accident, you were being chased, you were driving. What was going on there? I guess 
I'll give you the two-year lead-up to it real quick. I went to college for a year, partied really hard, basically failed out, joined the Navy, was going to try and get my life together. I was in the Navy, went down to Orlando, was in school, doing really well, went out one night with a buddy, was going down the highway, cut across, and just either somebody clipped me or I clipped him. It was just this little minor accident. But we knew that would severely affect our Navy career. So I just Mm. took off. I took off in that second, like just a horrible decision. And I took a country road. And the next thing, you know, I was like, I saw some lights behind me and I panicked. And so I just hit the gas. And then I woke up in the hospital. And they say at some point, the first accident probably bent the fender into the tire. And I lost the tire well over 100 miles an hour and flipped the car. Killed my friend and killed somebody else that was approaching. And how old were you at that point? I had just turned 20. Following that, you find out that you're going to serve time in prison. What was that like for you? It was about a nine month. I got out of mail. The Navy had me kind of in just a temporary position. I was waiting. There was all these negotiations. We were talking about how this would all go down. I actually went to a gym and I didn't know how to fight very well. And so I actually went to a gym and asked the guy who owned the gym to teach me how to fight, which would turn out to be super useful. Then I kept thinking, we pled down. It was supposed to be seven to 12 years. You know, I thought, okay, he won't absolutely give me more than seven, you know. And then, of course, he said 12. And so I found myself chained and shackled on a prison bus headed to Florida State Prison um, at 20 years old. I'd love if you could summarize your time in prison, how you would describe it and what that experience was like for you. Sure. It's like if you've ever seen a prison movie that is out there, that's about what it's like. You know, there's all kinds of threats on being raped, being somebody's boy. All that exactly is what happens. I had a big incident with a guy in the shower who thought I was going to succumb to him. and, And we ended up in this crazy fight in in the shower, naked, you know, like something out of a movie. On the really positive side, you know, my core was curiosity and hard work. So I went to work in the kitchen, learned how to cook. I got a two-year college degree. I ran, I worked out, and I kind of found by the time I left this this really good place, Mm. which was fascinating because this was a really, you know, a pretty dark place. And then when I got out, which was even more fascinating, all the structure left. And that was really hard too, you know. It's kind of simple to live this, if you've got a lot of structure in your life, very little freedom. If you've matched that freedom well, you can kind of thrive. All of a sudden you get out, everything now is on your own. You know, if you want to go to a gym, go get a membership, go get a thing. Well, I didn't have a car. Well, I, I didn't have a driver's license. Well, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job, mm. you know. So, and in prison, the rules are really simple. Just a couple rules. Don't touch me. I won't touch you. Don't take my stuff. I won't take your stuff. Well, all of a sudden you get out and everybody's got a set of rules and they're all kind of violating my rules. <laughs> mm. And that's really hard too. And, and so it took a long time to just get adjusted to so much freedom that you can do whatever you want. And often that's hard because we don't have the discipline to actually do what we need to do because I was just distracted a lot. Yeah, it was challenging to reintegrate back into society and and all that, it sounds like. How long were you in prison for in the end? Uh, I ended up doing three and a half years. I guess I'm curious. It sounds like you were very focused on 
staying focused and trying to get your life into more order and more structure. And it sounds like, you know, prison also might have lent itself that way to you. But I'm curious, how did the the experience of actually being in prison for those three plus years change your perspective on life, especially like immediately getting out once you started to become more integrated back into, you know, the society outside of prison? How did you look at life differently at that point in your life? I think the big piece was, I don't know that I could have articulated it to you at the time, but it was fear. I, I was terrified to go back. I was terrified to make another mistake that was so horrific as the one I made. So I constantly walked on eggshells, you know, like, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. You know, what do I need to be to be a good boy? Kind of was just my constant thinking. But I hadn't figured out all the things that had actually gotten me there. You know, kind of the childhood, the drugs, the escape, and all the underlying kind of tension that was there. I hadn't figured any of that stuff out. And so I was you know, I was really scared to go back. So I thought I'll really focus on achieving. So, I mean, you know, college, I mean, I rarely ever went out. All I did was study. I mean, I got two degrees in chemical engineering, graduated at the top of my class. You know, Thanksgiving comes and my mom would be like, you're coming home. And I'd be like, no, I can't. I got to study finals or after Thanksgiving, you know. So I would just mm. all the time work. I think part of it was if I was working then I couldn't get in trouble. I couldn't screw up. And I think that there was just so much going on, you know, and like you don't end up in prison if you got your stuff together. You know, if you've got your internal stuff figured out, you don't end up there, you know, maybe once in a great while, but for the most part, you know. It sounds like you put a lot of emphasis around accomplishment and becoming successful. Where did that like internal drive come from? Was it just that was the easiest way to stay focused and stay the path and not get yourself back in trouble? Or were you associating, I'm trying to turn my life around. If I put a lot of emphasis on accomplishment and becoming successful, I will be happier than where I am today. I'm curious where that stemmed from. I think the hard work was always there. So even as a kid, I was the kid who wanted the paper route. I was the kid who got the first job. I was the kid who started the first company. I mean, I I like to work. So that wasn't something I had to cultivate. But I think you're exactly right. And I did cultivate the the achievement, right? Okay. Good people have college degrees, right? Good people drive nice cars. Good people have a house. Good people have... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a good job. So I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to do all this stuff because that's what good people do. You know? mm, that makes sense. And in regards to that, I guess, 
when you first got out of prison, were you just like, I'm going to go build this business or what was your journey into actually building your own business? What did that look like for you? I actually got an MBA from Duke, which is kind of the, you know, big business. I thought I'd be a big business guy, but then I realized I was a convicted felon. And from the period that I got out kind of to today, the world has changed so much with the internet and background checks and all the stuff that happens. So I was running a company for some venture capitalists and I had to fly into Canada for a business meeting and I, I was walking through security, immigrations, and I got pulled aside and, and the gentleman said to me, he goes, have you ever been in trouble? And I said, I have. And he said, you do realize you're not allowed in Canada, right? And I mm. said, no. And it was after 9-11, like 2005, 2000, yeah, 2006. And he said, well, we ran the manifest on the plane as it was coming in and you're a convicted felon and you're in violation of Canadian law just by landing here. And I was like, oh, so they seized my passport. I had to call the guys that I work for and say, hey, look, I can't go to this meeting and I can't ever come back to Canada again. And tomorrow morning, they're going to allow me to get back on a plane and fly back to the United States. So here I was, you know, three college degrees, successful in my 40s, early 40s. And I went back that morning, went to the place, got my passport, and they made this huge deal out of it. They waited till the whole plane was full. And then this armed immigrations officer escorts me on the plane, sits me down, hands me my passport, tells me, you know, of course, as a convicted felon, you're never allowed to come back, you know, and you violated the law, and then turns around and walks off the plane. So everybody's looking at me like, you know, they're holding their kids. They're like, keep away from this guy. So, you know, I went back to the States and and it it was then 08 came, the economy crashed. I guess that was like 08. The economy crashes in 08. And I finally just said, you know, I think I need to do my own thing because that way I don't have to answer to anybody. You don't have to deal with this. (laughs) Yeah, it was ironic. At that point, I was divorced. I just gotten divorced. I'd gotten full custody of my son. So I had a three-year-old son. I left my job. We were living in Park City, Utah, and I decided to move to Charlotte. And I got here, I got him into preschool and I went to apply for a small business loan and it was the same thing. Oh, you're a convicted felon. So there's going to be a huge process for you to get a business loan because you're a convicted felon. And so I I went Uh through the whole process, got approved and then decided I didn't even want the loan. Like I was just going to do it on my own. And so I started the company on my own, on my own money. And I was like, you know, I won't even ask anybody for money because I don't want this cloud all the time. The cloud in a lot of degrees was the fact that nobody knew I was a convicted felon. You know, that was this big block, this constant tension for me. Every conversation, kind of any time a police officer got behind me, everything about my life was just kind of this constant tension. And so, you know, when you say I got to that place where the achievement wasn't working anymore, part of it was I was just living this sort of dishonest life. And that was causing constant tension for me. And I'd say, if you think about, you know, the bits of gold and, and, you know, if there's something about your story that just causes you constant tension, you've got to do something about it. That's a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. What is the business you ended up building? And are you still running that business today? Yeah, I actually do uh, advanced material research. And so I build high temperature materials. So all chemical engineering, you know, kind of hard science materials that mostly go into big trucks. Okay. So you end up starting this business, you achieve 
tremendous financial success in building this business, but you felt empty. You didn't feel this feeling of happiness as you're on that journey, or you didn't have the meaning in your life. What was it when you realized, I, I have achieved this tremendous accomplishment. I've literally turned my entire life around, but I'm not where I want to be. What was that feeling? That's what I'm trying to get at. Sure. It's a quick story was I was I was here. We we had just gotten a huge contract, bought this sixteen thousand square foot plant. We've got this big contract ready to move into the offices. I walk into my office. Literally, there's no furniture yet, but the floor was polished. Everything was perfect. And I sat down and I just I had what what I think is a dark night of the soul. And I literally just went, I don't work. I don't work. You know, like I seem to be able to manage this thing on the outside, but but I'm miserable. I had gained a bunch of weight. My blood pressure was high. I was stressed all the time. I was snapping at people all the time. It's just miserable. And so the epiphany was just that. It was it was I literally came to this dead end and I said, Whatever I'm doing doesn't work in here. Because clearly, everything out here seems to be working, but I'm not working. I literally sat here and I thought, I can't go on like this, you know, and and I think some people, I think some people at that moment would have checked out. I think they would have killed themselves. It was that bad. And that wasn't Mm. who I was. And I just said, okay, I had this crazy mystical experience. There was nothing like, oh, I'm a changed person. It was just... It was just a realization. I have got to do some inside work or I've got to do a lot of inside work. And I don't know what that is, but I'm going to figure it out. Where do you first turn when you decide, I'm going to go on my own introspective journey, dive deep. Where do you first start? Yeah, sure. My first attempt was to try to get my ex-girlfriend back, which was a colossal failure. <laughs> right? She said, absolutely not, and which was the best thing that ever happened. We were perfect for each other when we were both in that state, but I would have never grown in that relationship. But I reached out to a counselor we had gone to, and and he said he didn't feel comfortable seeing me, but he referred me to a men's psychologist that was a men's specialist. So I find myself sitting with Randy in his office. We had like an hour-long conversation, 10 minutes left, and he says to me, how are you going to know when we're finished? And I thought about it, and I said, look, I broken. I said, I'm probably going to be here forever. And he said to me, he said, let me try and answer the question for you. He said, when you can feel your emotions, when you can put a label to them and you can have a discussion about that emotion will be done. And I thought, Mm. okay, I didn't really know what that meant, but I was (laughs) like, okay, you're my guy. Right. And so that's where I started. So I ended up in a men's group with him. I ended up seeing him every week for a while, you know, and we kind of worked through things and he gave me things to read. But I started a feelings journal, basically. And every day I would sit down and I would just write, what do I feel? And for a long time, my first reaction would be, I don't feel anything. But I would commit myself to writing a page. And then I would write this thing and I would be like, where did that come from? You know, like there was actually something there. And so then I I became incredibly curious about words. And I was like, okay, I need a deeper vocabulary if I want to talk about what I feel. And I'm going to have to try and connect this thing I feel sometimes to a word so that people might understand what it is I'm trying to say. You know, that was really difficult. I grew up in that generation where the only thing you could be as a guy was either, you know, 
mostly just pissed off. Pissed off was acceptable, <laughs> right? And if you had any yeah. emotion, it was like, you know, my father said on a frequent basis, if you don't wipe that tear off your face, I'll smack it off your face. You know, so you learned, okay, don't have emotions, right? So that was where I started. He was great. And it was a perfect place. And his story was super interesting. He had started as a child psychologist, and he learned that most family problems come down to men's inability to get in touch with their emotions and kind of be able to talk about how they feel. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. At what point in your own journey would you say that you started to feel this point of alignment in your own life, this point of peace, this point of wholeness? You know, obviously, I'm assuming the book comes later. You sort of had this moment, this aha moment, and you decided, mm -hmm. hey, I want to share my own story, my journey with the world in hopes that I can help others. But at what point in your own journey did you get to that point of that peacefulness, that wholeness? I'm sure at this point in your life, that is sort of like an ever continuing internal journey as well. But I'm assuming you you got to sort of a point where you you realized, you know, I am finally at peace now or happier in my own life. I think it's a little different than that. So if it's okay, I'll rephrase. Yeah. They were steps, you know, so the first step was uh, Tony Robbins. I ended up going to Tony Robbins event and I ended up actually traveling with him for a year. And Tony had the great ability to kind of crack you open. And so all of a sudden I would have these like profound moments during an event that culminated in 2017, a date with destiny when I had like a full on intervention with Tony in front of 5,000 people. And I have no idea why I did it. But at one point he said, does anybody want to share? And I raised my hand and he said, you know, who are you? Where are you from? And I told the whole story that I was a convicted felon to 5,000 strangers in a room and that I needed to get this off my chest. You know, So I think that awareness and that peacefulness and that harmony just came in steps. And it wasn't even like this. It was more like this and then down and then up and then down and then up. And so I'd have these great openings at the event and then I would come home and I'd be kind of depressed. And I was like, okay. Then I'd have another opening. So, you know, it was it was like I had this giant shell and we kept cracking at it and we kept breaking pieces off and it would get better and then it would get a little worse so then it would get better. And then I started a more spiritual experience and that helped. And so I think over the past five years, it was actually just five years ago last week that I had the dark night. And over five years, it's been this pretty steady. Every day is better than yesterday. And there's no profound moment along the way when I could say to you, you know, on this date, that's when it all kind of clicked and I felt whole. I just started mm. to feel more whole, a little more in harmony. I started to ask myself better questions, you know, like, okay, if I'm not in harmony today, what's bugging me? And I journal a lot. I've probably written, I think I figured out, you know, a hundred thousand pages of journal in the last five years. Wow. Um Do do you have a practice or what does your daily or weekly or monthly days look like? Do you have a specific practice that makes you feel your best self? Sure. I do have crazy practice, I guess. Everything from what I eat to what I exercise to I journal every day. I start a journal entry every morning. First thing that says, what do I feel? And I write that. I have a gratitude journaling practice every morning, every evening before I, the last thing I do before I turn off the lights, I gratitude, I journal on some gratitude on what are a couple wins for the day. I fast a lot. I eat a highly 
plant-based diet. I do cold water immersions. I do infrared saunas. I work out, a daily meditator. A lot of things. It sounds like you really prioritize yourself. You put yourself first. You're putting your, your mental health, your physical health first and foremost, and that makes you feel your, your best self. Yeah. In the book, I talk about better today than yesterday, right? So I don't ever use best. I just use better. Mm. My first big job, there was a sign on the wall and it said, best is the enemy of better. So I've always kept that in my <laughs> mind, right? Today is going to be better than yesterday if I, if I do my work, right? If I do my practice. If I take yesterday's learnings and I actually apply them, today should be a better day. And so just keep going. I don't judge the day as success or failure. You know, I just say, okay, if I struggle with anything, I've always asked myself the question, why is this a struggle? Why am I upset because I'm in traffic? Why is this upsetting me? What's going on? You know, why is this great? Why do I feel amazing on this thing? One of the questions I love to ask is, why can't I just be happy regardless of what's going on? Right? Mm. Why can't I just feel peaceful, right? Peace, harmony, and freedom are, are the things I seek. I don't seek happiness per se. I just want to be peace. I want my body and my mind and my heart and my emotions and my soul to just feel like they're all in harmony. You know, they're working together. Yeah. Is there a reason that you don't pursue happiness is that is there something that you think that's like a dead end or what's the the reasoning or thought process behind that i think at least a lot of the things i've read is pursuing happiness means something on the outside world has to happen for me to be great mm. i've kind of turned that around to say i can be great regardless of what happens out here like prison's a perfect example i mean i had some of my best days when everybody, most normal people would say, oh, my God, maximum security prison, guards, guns, the threat of violence all the time. I had some amazing days. Mm. By the time I left, I never saw the fence. When I first got there, all I saw was razor wire. But when I left, I never saw it. And that was one of my first experiences with what's happening right outside my vision really doesn't have anything to do with me. So mm. I think if I'm chasing happiness, you know, and I'll give you the perfect example. If I get the right sports car, I'm going to be happy, right? Well, that car, I'm dependent on this car for happiness. Why could I not just be happy because I'm my body's working and I'm here today and I get to experience what I get to experience today, right? That's a profoundly different way of looking at it, you know? Yeah, I like that a lot. We can start to wrap up the show in this episode. There were plenty of bits of gold in, in your life story in this episode thus far, but I'm curious what would be your bits of gold, your biggest piece of advice to build a life of meaning, build a life of wholeness, of peacefulness. I'm curious what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life with purpose, a life you love? It's really simple. And, and I think it's commit to being better today than you were yesterday and truly commit to that, right? Build the practice that allows you the space to evaluate yesterday fairly, to truly learn the lesson and continue to ask yourself the question, who do I need to become to be better today? What do I need to get? Who do I need to become to be better today? And if you commit to that, you know, I, I tell my son all the time, I said, 
you know, if you do that every day, 365 days from now, you'll be 365 times better than you were yesterday, right? And 10 years from now, you'll be 3,650 times better than you were yesterday, right? Do you know how much progress you can make in 10 years? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll give, leave you with this last piece is Tony Robbins always says, we wildly estimate what we can do and wildly overestimate what we can do in, in a month. And we wildly underestimate what we can do in a decade, right? So if you just think about a little better every day, you, not your stuff, right? Think about five years later. I mean, if I look at a dark night five years ago and the guy that's sitting here talking to you today, so profoundly different, Mm. but it took five years to get here. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Your story is amazing. You have a very powerful incredibly inspiring story and very excited that I had you on and to share your story and share your perspective and, and wisdom with, with the world. Where can people connect with you, find you, purchase the book if they want to give it a read? Yeah, sure. It's Chasm, C-H-A-S-M. It's on Amazon. And I'm on bobgoulet.com in terms of website. Catch me email there and the beginning of a blog that I start to write about things and, and connect as well. Awesome. Well, Bob, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, subscribe, share with a friend, and leave a review on Apple iTunes podcast. It really helps with growing the show. With that, I hope you enjoyed the show, and I encourage you to take Bob's advice and make tomorrow better than it were today. Have an amazing week. I love your pocket. This is gold. This is where it's at. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.